Hello, and welcome to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon with Yardena Osband here. Daf, Brachot, Daf, Tet, Zion. Hi, everybody. Um, so for today's Daf, I'm going to do another episode of Who's Who. Um, on this Daf, we have a series of halachot that pertains particularly to Rav Gamliel. Um, they were a series of halachot uh, that are presented in the Mishnah, where we know the halacha to be one way, uh, the first being that uh, on a wedding night, a chatan would not, a groom would not normally, normally say uh, would not recite the Shema. Uh, the second halacha being that when a loved one dies, uh, we don't normally bathe. And Rav Gamliel, he actually bathes. And the third halacha is about how when his uh, beloved servant passed away, Tavi, he actually accepted condolences for the servant. I think it's important to understand who Rav Gamliel is and why it's significant that he sort of did things that seemed to be a little bit contrary uh, to what normative halacha was. So first of all, there's a lot of Rav Gamliels that are mentioned. In fact, there are actually six altogether. But if we trace this particular Rav Gamliel, who's Rav Gamliel II, we need to actually go back all the way to Hillel. That's correct. That's Hillel of Hillel and Shammai. So Hillel had a son named Shimon, um, who we actually don't know a lot about. He probably passed away either at a fairly young age, but there's really just not a lot of information about him. And he has a son, uh, Gamliel, and that's Rabbi Gamliel I. Rabbi Gamliel I has a son, Shimon. That's Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel I. He's one of the Asar Haruge Malchus, who we mentioned earlier in a different episode. And then he has a son, Rabbi Gamliel II. If we continue on, the Rav Gamliel, he has a son, Rabbi Shimon II. And then after the second uh, Rabbi Shimon, we get to uh, Rabbi Huda Hanasi. So it's basically seven generations from Hillel to Rabbi Huda Hanasi, the redactor of the Mishnah. So who was this Rav Gamliel II and why was he so important? And why are we devoted to these type of halachot about him in the Mishnah? So he basically took over as the Nasi after Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And what's significant about this is he's really sort of the first Nasi after uh, the Sanhedrin and the Beit Midrash moves out of Yerushalayim and it goes to Yavna. And therefore, a lot of what he was concerned with, Rabbi Gamliel II, is issues of um, sort of the importance of rabbinic Judaism and the rabbi's ability, Chazal's ability, to actually give psak halacha, that they were sort of like in charge. And we'll see, I know I keep talking about this story that we're going to get to later on in Brachot. There's a very important thing that happens between him, Rabbi Yoshua, who he often would have disagreements with, and Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. But, um, but that's really sort of his important place uh, within the mission itself. Um, and the other thing that was interesting about him is he had this special relationship uh, with this servant of his, Tavi, who's mentioned here on our page, who was not Jewish, but Tavi was considered to be almost in his own right, very familiar with rabbinic law, and he would keep many halachot himself. And that's why when he passed away, Reverend Gamliel was allowed to sort of take uh, condolences for him, which was not something that was typically done for a slave. In fact, it's actually mentioned in the Mishnah in Masachet Sukkah, Perak Bet, Mishnah Aleph, that um, Tavi would sleep inside the Sukkah 
but he would know to sleep under a bed in the sukkah because he understood that because he was a slave, he did not actually have to sleep in the sukkah itself. So the point of that mission is to show how much halacha he actually knew. And I think the reason why, and Anne I know is going to talk about this a little bit more, um, it's significant, these stories about Rabbi Gamliel, because even for where he viewed his role as the Nasi to sort of make a one type of rabbinic Judaism that was no longer connected to the, that was no longer connected to the temple and also its location changed. It was no longer in Yerushalayim. Now it was in Yavna, but we see he sort of had this flexibility, at least with himself, where he understood that sometimes the halacha had to change based on a particular person's uh, circumstances. So we will see Revan Gamliel, the second name, come up again. Again, it's somewhat confusing because we can sometimes just see the name Revan Gamliel and we don't always know who exactly we're talking about. But usually if we're talking about Revan Gamliel the first, it may sometimes say like Revan Gamliel has And that's how you would differentiate uh, the two of them. So I guess that is today's episode of Who's Who. Um, and Anne, I'll pass it along to you now. Thanks, Jordina. Um so what I find remarkable about, I mean, I also, I find that maybe perhaps I keep saying the same thing as well, that I find remarkable about the Gemara is, um, we've mentioned this before, of just how human it is, right? The recognition that Chazal are are t- writing halacha for, for real world situations. And sometimes that's in the form, as you've described here, as a masishaya of a, of a story that took place with regard to one of the members of Chazal. And sometimes it's straight up, you know, the, the list of halacha as it is designed to apply to people in real world situations. Our Mishnah on Daftad Zayan Amir Aleph says as follows, or the first part of the Mishnah. Ha'umanim korim barosha ilan, ubarosh anidbach, mashainan resha'in lasot ken batfila. There were workers who would be um, on top of the trees. What does it mean they're on top of the trees? Their their labor, their day labor would be to be up in the trees, uh, harvesting whatever they're doing up there, um, cutting down branches perhaps. And if the time came to say Shema while they are up there, then the Mishnah says they should recite Shema. They cannot do that for Tefillah. They cannot do that for the Shemona Esrei, for the Amidah. The idea being that when, you, when it comes to the Shemona Esrei, you need to have a certain kind of intent that presumably is not, you're not capable of it. Nobody's capable of it when you're precariously balanced amongst the trees. But the idea is that when it comes time to say Shema, you need to say Shema, but you're on your employer's clock. And when you're on your employer's clock, you may not be able to do your experience of, of Jewish ritual life in its ideal fashion. You need to pay attention to the fact that you are obligated to somebody else, right? To your employer. And yes, you say Shema. And yes, you take that that very brief amount of time to recite Shema while you're in the midst of the process of the of your labor. And then you go on with your labor. And and that's it. Um and the idea is that if you come if you you come to the time that you have to say tefillah, then you have to come down. And you may not be able to say tefillah, depending, or maybe you have to say a tefillah right? There's a machukin in the Gemara, uh, an abbreviated form of Shimon Esrei, because again, because you're on somebody else's clock. And I keep calling this the, the real world aspect of the Talmud, because it's recognizing that not everything can be done in its most ideal fashion, even though I think that anybody coming to approach halacha, anybody coming to approach their experience of Judaism says to themselves, well, of course I want to do this in 
the most ideal way. We talk about, in, in other contexts, we talk about doing things, not just mahadrin, but mahadrin min mahadrin thinking about Hanukkah candles, for example. We, we want to be mahader. We want to enhance our performance of mitzvot. And yet, sometimes the requirement is very, very basic. When you are a day laborer and you are on your clock, you say Shema, even if you're up in the trees or, you know, the modern day equivalent might be a construction worker uh, up on the side of a building. Um, and, and that's that. And I think, and the, the DAF goes on to give other, what I'm calling real world scenarios. And they're very much the applications of an ideal, you know, say Shema at this time with your ideal amount of Kavana and now do it wherever you are, however you must do it so that you get it done because that is how that is, we, we are talking about a lived halacha. Um, and, and it's not always in the ideal circumstance. And yet we carry it through. And to me, somehow that is very much an ideal. So I think that's really the connection between these stories of Rav Gamliel and those halachot of the workers. That you're essentially seeing two different types of real life halacha, right? That Rav Gamliel, because of who he was, his learning, hit him as a leader the halacha was a little bit different for him. And then on the same page, the Gemara is presenting, what do we do for people who are busy working? Um, and what's the halacha like for them? And so there's something really human about you know all of these different scenarios as they present to us. Um, the other thing I thought of, which is something I'm thinking through, I'm not sure it's totally formulated in my head, but there's something significant, I think, about the idea of looking at workers who sort of through the act of Kriyachma have to be Mikabel They right the act of reading the Shema is saying that we accept sort of that Hashem is our master, but yet they're working for somebody else who is their master. And is that also sort of like some of the tension there that like while you're worried about working and worried what your you know your work file is saying about you, how do we make time to have the proper kavana when you need to be makabel o makuchamayim for your real master in this world? So I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. Um, I want to just add that the end of the daf to Zayinam Abet, we end we we see again this real world representation of what Chazal themselves would do, where they would conclude their tefillah, and they several different um, rabbanim would have a hiratzon, a, a may it be your will, God, prayer that they would tack on to the end of tefillah, which I think connects to your point about being makabel omachuchamayim, that everybody comes to their practice to to put to invest themselves in it to the extent that they can. And if you're, you know, a big rabbi, if you're Rabbi Gamliel, then maybe you really can do it in the ideal fashion. And if you're Rebbe Yezer, then you have, um, you know, that you're going to focus on the nature of, of Talmidim and, and Tfilan, he talks about Gan Eden. And then we have Rabbi Yochanan, and meaning again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into the, the words of each Tfilah, but if we sat there, if we, we could do a whole episode, um, except for that we're done with this stuff, comparing and contrasting this tfil, these Tfilot, and I think they're very powerful. I'll end with Rabbi Zeira here, who says, That we should not sin, we should not say, shame ourselves. And that we should not disgrace ourselves before Avotenu. Meaning there's a recognition of we do what we can. We do what we must. We, we live our Torah. And, and 
in the context in the context of those who came before. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thanks for listening. Until tomorrow, go and learn.